0: Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone. It is caught for the win. Pressure. Pass is picked off and who
1: back to another episode of the Packs, which she said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by the wonderful, fantastically knowledgeable Perry Goldstein and a little different this week because obviously we just saw yesterday the Packers on Thursday Night Football. So rather than bring you a game preview... Instead, we have kind of a game recap, and we figured, you know, this would be a nice exercise in comparing and contrasting what we saw on Sunday on a short week against the Vikings, and then now what we're seeing, uh, or what we saw from the Packers versus 49ers on Thursday night. So, Perry, what were some of your initial thoughts going into this game? I mean, I know that this was a really depleted 49ers roster, not what we were expecting when we circled this matchup on the calendar going into the season. Um, but I, for me personally, I think that this was what we needed to see from this Packers team.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and it's not to say like the Packers weren't at full strength either. Uh, the 49ers are yes, beat up and they had some COVID issues, but we are also beat up and had some COVID issues. You know, we didn't have Jamal Williams or Kamal Martin or AJ Dillon, Kevin King, uh, Vernon Scott, Will Redmond, David Bakhtiari, like the list goes on and on of players we also didn't have. So I wouldn't say that it was necessarily an evenly matched game. Like The Packers went in and did what they needed to do, which was beat up on a pretty bad 49ers, currently bad 49ers team. But I think it's, it's also safe to say that we were missing some seriously key pieces. Um, I think that what I wanted after the Vikings beat down was just exactly what they did, was go in and beat the pants off of a team that they should beat. Um, Didn't matter that they had to travel. Didn't matter that it was a short week. Uh, They went in there and got some revenge, honestly, on Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala
1: and are leaving San Francisco now with a win. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, I know the narrative. We talked about this. So all week on Twitter, there were very contrasting opinions. And it was either that uh, Mike Patton was going to get embarrassed regardless or that this win wasn't going to mean anything because it was against the depleted 49ers team. So once again, here on the packs with she said podcast, we are reminding you that you can only play the team that's in front of you at any given moment. And the Packers are now six and two and still atop the NFC North. So I do think that this was, you know, maybe exercising some demons. I think it's nice for Matt LaFleur to get a win against Kyle Shanahan, even though, you know, the rosters did look much different compared to what we saw last season, but you know, I think that this this is a good monkey off your back first step kind of thing from Matt Lafleur, and you know, once again, he has proven so far in his short tenure as head coach that he has not lost back to back games. So, yeah, I guess one of the things I want to ask you is what did you see, whether it's a positive or negative, this Packers team doing as a bounce back from this Vikings game? So what did you see that was like different? I think just like the energy
0: level, especially on the defense, was so different. Like you can tell almost right off the bat whether they're coming in aggressive and more, you know, less reactionary, right? Being proactive and dictating the way they want the game to go. Like you can tell immediately on that first drive we let Dalvin Cook pretty much run through us the intu- for that first drive, and it was seven to seven. And you're like, okay, that you know this this is how this game I think might go. Versus with the 49ers, they come out, they get a three and out. You know, the tackling is better. They rally to the ball. They're getting pressure on Nick Mullins, and again, it's Nick Mullins, and it's a depleted 49ers team. But it's it's less about the opponent and more about the way that the Packers are holding themselves, I guess, on the field and their attitude and their aggressiveness.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think we saw some things that are still reasons to be optimistic about this team. Um, you know, Wes Hodkiewicz had posted this stat right when it happened, but we now know, of course, that the Packers have scored on all eight of their first offensive possessions this season, which is significant. We know that Matt LaFleur does an excellent job scripting the first couple series of his offense. Mm -hmm. Um, on the defensive side of the ball after the Vikings game, you know, he said we have to gang tackle. And I think we saw a lot of that on Thursday. So especially for having a short week and not being able to actually physically practice, it was more like meetings. Mm -hmm. I thought that that, you know, was really impressive. And then we saw a couple turnovers for this Packers defense, which was something that again, we know was really missing from this team. So as much as we want to say that this was not a 49ers team that was up to full strength, The Packers also were not, and to a lesser extent, but they were still missing some key pieces and they still, I think, had some really key contributors on both sides of the ball.
0: I liked, too, that a few guys that I think I've had a little bit of a rougher start to the season really, really showed up, you know, Preston Smith got not just one pressure, but was really up in Nick Mullins face. He had a batted pass. He was the one that pressured Nick Mullins um, that caused the pick by Raven green. Um, I thought Darnell Savage, Savage also had a much, much better game, just was really utilizing his speed and his agility in a much, you know, much, much, much like we saw last season, you know, really, getting himself to the ball, actually making tackles, not taking bad angles. So, I appreciated the way that guys stepped up and then on the flip side on the offense, it's just and this is no no disrespect to Jamal Williams, none at all. He's a phenomenal running back, but our offense is so different when we have Aaron Jones in. When when you get a Aaron Jones in there, you can just do so much more with that player. You know, there. I think, and we talked about it last night on the on the Cheesehead TV live show. But there was one sort of cutback that Aaron Jones had early on in the game. Jamal Williams doesn't make that play. You know, Aaron Jones has the vision and the shiftiness and the agility to get more out of what's in front of him. And you know, we had Aaron Rodgers,
1: Devonte Adams,
0: and Aaron Jones on the field together last night, and it's magic.
1: Yeah. And I, that's why, I mean, you talked about this on the live show, and we've talked about this, you know, on Happy Hour, on this very podcast, almost ad nauseum. That, yes, as much as we would have loved to see a wide receiver two trade, like a Will Fuller, somebody that you know can also take the top off of defenses, we're missing Alan Lazard. Marquez Valdez Gantling had a nice game, and I, we'll talk about that because, you know, there is an inconsistency issue there, but. This Packers team has weapons, and just because they're not wide receiver weapons, there's Robert Tanyan, there's Jay Sternberger. When Jamal Williams comes back, A.J. Dillon, like there are pieces. Tyler Irvin made a really big impact for this offense. So just because we're not seeing, like it's a holistic approach to the offense, and I think that that's where everyone is stuck because historically, the last couple of games, Devontae Adams has kind of like carried the bulk of the load for the offense. And I think we're seeing when you have a guy like Aaron Jones back in the fold, Devontae Adams doesn't have to do that. Right. I mean, he still does though. That's the
0: thing is he doesn't have to yet. He does because <laughs> he can,
1: he literally
0: can't be stopped. It's, it's getting to the point now where as a defensive coordinator, genuinely, how do you stop Devonte Adams? Because you can't press him at the line, but he also has enough speed to blow you out over the top. You can't, Press man coverage him at all while you're running because he's gonna catch the ball no matter what. There is, There are catches that he makes where there is not an open window. There was on that fourth and one that he caught yesterday or on against the 49ers, even Aaron Rodgers was surprised he caught the ball. He was like, I know that I put the ball in a good place, but I couldn't believe he made that catch and that's just who we have now. So I think the commentary around, oh, we need a wide receiver too. Oh, we need more weapons is some somewhat predicated on, well, Devonte, we, we rely too much on Devonte Adams. I don't think it's a reliance when someone is just producing at the level that he is. It's not forceful. He just balls out. And if his, if he is the first read and he's, quote-unquote open whatever that even means anymore for him then that's where they're going to feed the ball to and it's succeeding and it's so fun to watch and like you said we're going to get Alan Lazard back and that's only going to drag defenders away from Devontae Adams because he actually garners like the respect of defenders now as a legitimate wide receiver threat so I I think the Will Fuller thing is yes exciting it would have been awesome but at the same time not really that necessary
1: yeah and I mean I'd I've seen this a lot on Twitter. We've both discussed it, but I think that it's beyond time to talk about Devonte Adams as the best wide receiver in the NFL. And it, he's proving consistently, he's setting records with his touchdown numbers, his receiving numbers each week. But the person I really want to talk about, and, you know, I'll give you the floor initially, is just MVS and kind of what we saw, you know, every time we see him perform, there's an inconsistency issue there where he has a couple drops, but, then if you look at his stat line, you know, is this who he is? Two out of four receptions, average of 26 and a half yards, 52 yard long, and his two receptions were two touchdowns. Like, is this MBS? Right. Yes. Yes. And I think that's fine. He is wide receiver three.
0: He's got insane speed to the point where not even Aaron Rodgers can outthrow him. And he once in a while, you know, when needed is going to give you that big explosive play and the fact that all defenses know that he can he has the ability now he's proven it enough times to be able to have that big explosive play like we saw against the 49ers it's that's almost all you need is when you see him shooting shooting up towards the end zone you're going to drag defenders towards there because Aaron Rodgers very theoretically could throw him the ball so i think he does what he needs to does he need to clean up the drops? Obviously. Um, but I think as he gains confidence and, you know, a game like we had this week is the perfect example of one where he should feel good about it. But I, I don't see the issue to be honest. Like I know that people can be very up in arms about the drops and some of the things in his inconsistencies, but you, he's shown you who he is. Set your expectations at who he is Once in a while, he's going to give you an explosive game, two touchdowns. Once in a while,
1: he's going to be a non-factor. I think the role that I envision for MVS in this offense is very much a decoy. And I like the way that you put it as far as respect is concerned, because we saw LaFleur do some of this already with Tyler Irvin in the motion, the jet sweeps, whatever it is. So you're putting Tyler Irvin in motion, and then if he takes it, the defense takes the bait. But there's going to be a point where he doesn't take the handoff and then you have Aaron Jones up the middle or something happens. And this is kind of the way that Matt LaFleur schemes his guys open and just his, it's the idea of being multiple right for this offense. And MVS is the same way as wide receiver three. When you're an 11 personnel, either MVS is going to take the top off your secondary and they have to respect that and drag players with him, freeing up like a Devonte on a crosser, or you have no respect for that because you're like, all oh, he has is speed And and as we saw against the 49ers, he's wide open in the end zone. And yes, I mean, I guess there is a little bit of an element where he has to catch the ball when he's wide open like that. But once that stuff starts happening, it's just another layer for this offense and the idea of that multiplicity. No, I completely agree with you. I I think that like, I I hate to call him a decoy, but
0: I think the analogy, like the Tyler Irvin analogy is perfect, right? It's, it's the same thought as. Matt LaFleur wants to continuously add on to things that he's already produced on the field and take what he's done and shift it in a way that the defense thinks they know, based off of film, what he's about to do. And he's just going to do something slightly different. And so when you get a play like MVS had on Thursday now the defenses have to know, okay, that's something that they're going to do in the future or try to do. And even if it only looks like they're going to do it, and then, like you said, they're going to hit Devonte on a crosser instead, that's really what that matters. It's like this exact idea of illusion of complexity. Um, and I don't have as many issues with MVS being that, in that role as some other people, I guess, necessarily do.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And is there anybody else you want to touch on offense before we kind of flip holistically to the defense?
0: Um, Yeah, I want to talk about Tyler Irvin, honestly, because I thought he looked great. Um, I I definitely, I mean, Dexter Williams, right, got hurt. So that was really unfortunate. Finally gets his shot and, of course, comes up with an injury. So we we hate to see that. Um, But going into the game, I expected Tyler Irvin to get more touches than Dexter, uh, mostly because Tyler Irvin's been part of this offense, actually, for this entire season. So it makes sense that he would be the next man up. I also think that... Tyler Irvin, if if you look at the two backs, right, I imagine Tyler Irvin is more of that Aaron Jones type running back. Dexter Williams is more of the Jamal Williams type running back. So naturally in Matt LaFleur's offense, Tyler Irvin fits a little bit better um, into what they were going to do. And he filled that role great. He actually had a few catches um, in the passing game. So I was just really, really impressed with someone who has been dropped by a bunch of teams who's dealt with injuries, who finds himself on this Packers team. And I think it takes a very special coach also to figure out a way to fit a Tyler Irvin into a scheme the way Matt LaFleur has. So props to him for finding this weapon that's working. He's, he's becoming a little bit of an integral integral cog in this offense between the motion and now seeing what he can do, not just in the run game, but also in the pass game, I, I'm just very, very impressed with him.
1: Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And I think one other person that I would mention before we shift to the defense is just Elton Jenkins. I mean, talk right. about just a phenomenal second round pick. And I this is why Brian Gutekunst was so hesitant to give up a second round pick for Will Fuller, because you either have to pay Will Fuller a significant amount or you're giving up the opportunity to find a player like the Packers found in the second round, Elton Jenkins. I mean, started at left guard, obviously the, the Packers starting left guard all season, and then has to fill in in a pinch at left tackle and fills in seamlessly. And also shout out to Billy Turner for starting the game at left tackle and within a play having to move over to right tackle when Rick Wagner got hurt. So just the way that the Packers offensive, like Adam Stenovich, Phenomenal job with the offensive line. We are seeing some of these offensive linemen play probably their best football. Corey Lindsley, Lucas right. Patrick. It's, yeah. it's been really impressive. We have some major
0: Corey Lindsley love here. Like major <laughs> Corey Lindsley love. And the craziest thing is that this offensive line is playing so well, and yet we're missing our best player on that line still. So it's only going to get better when David Bakhtiari does come back. And I think it's really nice to see that you know, that is a, that is a blue chip player. That is a, that is a star elite player that you don't want to push back from injury. And the offensive line has been able to play at a level where David Bakhtiari can heal. And you know that the Packers aren't going to put him back until he's a hundred percent. And the fact that we can play and without him um, and still have, you know, great pocket protection for Aaron Rodgers is
1: huge. So yeah. Shout out to the offensive line. So this is going off script a little bit here, and I just want your opinion on this because I've been thinking about it. I'm sure we're going to talk about it in the coming months, but with this free agent class that's coming up, we've kind of seen, we've gotten a look at the, what this team can look like without them. Right. And you said right. earlier in the show, we agreed this offense is different with Aaron Jones and historically you do not pay money for running backs. We haven't seen yet what this offensive line looks like without Corey Lindsay, but we're seeing on defense in the secondary, that Josh Jackson is playing well and Kevin King kind of becomes expendable if he's unable to heal and get back on the field. Yep. Now, most of Packer Nation is convinced that David Bakhtiari comes back, and I'm not of the camp that I think that he should go elsewhere. I would love for the Packers to bring him back, but you have John Runyon, who theoretically could be your left guard if you slide Elton Jenkins over, but you have a young, ascending player. Do you consider moving a player like Elton Jenkins to left tackle?
0: No. Not even in a million years. You do not get rid of a player like David Bakhtiari. You just don't. I I think the list of free agents to sign is David Bakhtiari and then a wide margin and then everyone. You just don't get rid of a player of his caliber at a position that is so valuable. I think what it's showing us is that we have a backup plan. That if David Bakhtiari goes down, we're good. But that doesn't mean that you get rid of him in free agency. I mean, if we're worried about cap space, fine, give him a, you know, I think they can franchise tag him yeah, or they yeah. can do some kind of right, like fifth year option, whatever that it may, I don't know that the actual term is, but you know what I mean? Like we don't have to actually pay him yet, but you don't get rid of a player like that. Now on the flip side, like you said, with Kevin King, that's a little bit harder for me because finding solid corners is very difficult in this league. You know, we're very we got very lucky. We drafted Jair Alexander. He's a star. Again, finding a star is like one in a million. We've seen the carousel of cornerbacks through the Packers over the last decade. So that's why the idea of letting someone like Kevin King go is difficult for me to swallow. But in the same vein, Josh Jackson actually is playing quite well. And statistically speaking, he's actually playing at a very like equal level to Kevin King. So when you have someone on a rookie deal that you can, you know expect to step up he can he's only getting better honestly as he's getting more playing time which shout out to you for saying this is why they don't bring Tremont Williams back because it gives other (laughs) you know some of the guys in the depth chart opportunities like exactly like Kevin King goes down Josh Jackson comes in and look he's playing just as well as Kevin King is I think Kevin's a little bit better in coverage and a little bit better in you know the run game but again baby steps like Josh is only getting better so I, I think the writing's a little bit on the wall for Kevin King because also the cornerback market is quite expensive and when you have like if I had to choose right let's say they bring David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones back those I think are pretty obvious choices and then you have to choose between a Corey Lindsley or a Kevin King you're going Corey Lindsley every time so
1: that's my free agent opinion <laughs> No. And I'm with you. And I think if you look at, you know, they might lose Rick Wagner, he might be expendable after this season, but if you have David Bakhtiari back at left tackle, we've seen how good Billy Turner looks at tackle and, you know, maybe guard is out of position for him. And the money felt astronomical when they brought him in last free agent or last year in free agency, because we were like, really for a guard, like that's so much money, but he's been so dependable and he can play anywhere on the line and you have two years left on his contract after the season, and he can be your right tackle while you look at a guy like Yash Nijman, or maybe you draft somebody to play tackle. But I, I'm with you. Or I think, you have John Runyon. Yeah. But I, I think David Bokhtiar has to come back. And I think if you would have asked anybody in Packerland before the season started, Kenny Clark and David Bokhtiar were your priorities, and I don't think that that has changed. And, of course, they locked up Kenny Clark, so – David Bakhtiari has to be the next man in line for that, but one more to go (laughs) flipping then to the defensive side of the ball holistically. um, I want your first impressions. Just, you know what we saw, I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit before that we saw a lot better tackling. The defense got their first red zone stop of the season, which is kind of wild to even think about, but that did happen and we saw more pressure. So, After, you know, the performance against the Vikings, what were some of your key takeaways about this defense?
0: Yeah, Uh, I think tackling is probably the biggest one. And again, these aren't guys that are going to make you miss. It's not like they're doing this against George Kittle. But again, like they did what they needed to against who was in front of them. Um, I thought the pass rush really showed up again this game in a big way. Um, Forcing turnovers is what this defense was good at last year. And they've gotten away from that. And to get two... Uh, I think was huge, and that is all right. Predicated on the pressure, pressure causes turnovers. Z gets in there for a forced fumble. Raven Green off of a pressure from Preston Smith. I love the way that Adrian Amos is playing. I know he had a little bit of a not like the best start to the season, but he's really just the most solid. Like we we talk about free agent signings all the time. Z being a huge one, but. Adrian Amos is another one that it's just like Brian Goodenkun's great job. Like he's so, so solid. um, And he's playing where he, he's doing everything right. Um, I think that I just am still not like convinced by them until we play a better offense and they show up in the same way against
1: a more equal offense. Yeah. And I mean, I know that some of it you could argue is garbage time and just trying to stay ahead of this 49ers offense, but Richie James comes in and puts up 184 yards on the ground and a touchdown through the air and a touchdown. And it's just, you know, and it's no disrespect to him, but some of the coverage was just so soft. And I think we all kind of agreed going into this game, like, you're playing fifth and sixth string wide receivers. Like what we wanted. We were also
0: playing our fifth and sixth string defense at that point. Like all our starters had been taken out by the time Richie James scores a touchdown at the end of the game. So
1: well, the touchdown, yeah, but, like, I, the middle of the defense to me, and I think part of it is, you know, they don't have Kamal Martin. Chris Barnes got injured uh, midway through the game, but it just felt like we were still seeing some soft coverage, and I think it would have been a really good opportunity to see some of these guys in press man, especially, yeah. like, a Josh Jackson and Kedar Holman. I agree with you, but I also think that, like,
0: I just think that's not Pettin. you know? Like, I, I completely agree. I would love to see that. We have the personnel to do that. I just – I just think that we have a coach that's not calling that. And that's the, at the end of the day, a little bit of the issue. Yeah, no,
1: I I agree. And that's, that's a good point is that it it could be more of Patton than anything else. But, you know, we obviously saw Jair Alexander left the game with a, potential concussion. We haven't heard any confirmation yet on that. Um, Hopefully he's available for next Sunday against the Jaguars, but now we kind of have like a mini buy for this Packers team to heal up. Um, It's going to be needed. There were a ton of players that left the game with injuries. Um, I thought Kadar Holman looked really good filling in for him. Um, Still, I think some question marks on the defense as a whole, but I do think, like you said, we're seeing some baby steps, but until we do it against another contending team, It's hard to put too much stock in these baby steps.
0: No, yeah, exactly. And if we replicate this right against, I don't know, the the Panthers maybe with Christian McCaffrey coming back or when we play the Titans, then that's a a performance in which I can say, okay, we can go into the playoffs and and we can play at a high level and make a push into – you know, late January, February. Um, but I, I just, I, I appreciate that they came in with the energy. Um, I'm sure that this was like mentally a game where they were like, we, we need to dominate. Um, and it was pretty much total domination for the entire game. It was 31 to three at, at one point and it was over by then. So I think anything after that to me means nothing. Um, A shout out to Mason Crosby for kicking a 53-yard field goal. Thought he was hurt. Guess not. Um, I thought that was a fun, why not, because they're already up so much. Like, let him try it out. Uh, So he had a little moment there. Very exciting. Um, And glad to see that he's feeling okay because we need him moving forward.
1: Yeah, and I think it was interesting. I haven't been able to listen to the post-game pressers yet. But, you know, one of the narratives after the loss at Lambeau was like maybe – this team is reliant on some crowd noise. And if they're unable to quote, like find their own juice, they rely on that noise from the fans in the stands. And we saw them go into Santa Clara without fans in the stands and bring their own juice. And I think that that's what we need to see more of moving forward. And I don't know if it's because it's the 49ers and there's a history there and an animosity and this team needed to get the monkey off its back and prove that they can win out West. But we saw that and now we just, you know, we need to be able to see that continue moving forward. Um, So before we wrap the show, we do, I think, need to talk about the fact that there was another COVID positive case for this Packers team. We know obviously through the reports that AJ Dillon tested positive on Monday. We thought the game might go into question on Tuesday. Jamal Williams and Kamal Martin were added to the close contact COVID reserve list. All three of them were unavailable to play. Obviously the game was played on Thursday and as of Friday morning, we found out that another Packer player tested positive and played in the game. And that happened to be Chris Barnes. So the Packers, you know, we talked about, they have this little mini buy now, potentially they could get some guys back for the Jaguars next Sunday, but you know, we're starting to see more cases pick up around the NFL now more COVID cases. And by all accounts, this game probably should not have been played even though the Packers, yes, obviously left with a win.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the NFL is just a reflection of what's going on in our country. So with cases rising everywhere, you know, the NFL is not going to be immune and this is going to happen. And unless they literally shut themselves in their homes, I think this is just something that we're going to have to deal with with games moving forward. Um, There's definitely some protocols that the NFL has put in place that I question, uh, like you said, this game shouldn't have happened la- uh, on Thursday night. It, it just shouldn't have um, I think it was reckless and dangerous to all involved until you can give them a few days to contact race and figure out who is actually sick and who is actually positive and who is negative and, and give them time. You know, it was a Thursday night game. They could have pushed it to Monday. They could have given themselves four days. And that was really disappointing just from like an NFL perspective for me, because now, like you said, another player just tests positive who played in the game last night and who knows who he infected? And yes, the Packers now have ten days to get this right, and they will figure it out, and they will do their testing and, and follow protocols. But it's just really frustrating. Like these, sometimes I, okay, I'm I'm about to go on a little soapbox, so I'm sorry. Um, sometimes I feel like people view NFL players as just like actors or pawns and not people like these are human beings who are getting this deadly virus and have to go home to family members and some who may have people in their lives who are have pre-existing conditions a lot of them have really young children like some of them may have pregnant spouses like it's not the the way that they're being treated to me is not um indicative of any level of respect for how much they're putting out there like how how on the line, they're putting themselves. And I know that it's just a game, right? But this is also their livelihoods. And if they don't play, they don't get paid. And so there's like a lot going into these decisions every week. And the NFL could very easily make a week 18 or a week 19 and give these guys the ability to heal. And we've heard players who've gotten sick, who have said, I've had symptoms for weeks now, I've had symptoms for months, or I can't breathe the same way I used to. Like this is, this is not just something that you test negative and then you're good. There are long-term consequences and long-term effects. And this is not just like a football injury that, you know, they chose this job. Therefore they might tear their ACL. Like this is very different. And I just don't appreciate the way that some of these players being treated. And, um, I'm pretty disappointed that they didn't postpone the game.
1: Well, especially knowing that there's potentially a two-day incubation period. So if you're in close contact, you know, and we saw tests come up for the 49ers on Wednesday. So that means that the game being played on Thursday is irresponsible because they could be getting more tests all the way through Friday. And then, you know, the game's already taken place. So you have all these players around each other. It's not to mention the Jaguars running back who has been not able to play the season, had to bow out of. His sophomore right. season in the NFL because of COVID complications. And I know that we always talk about how you know money speaks volumes in the NFL, but and maybe this is me as like an optimistic observer, but when I think about the NFL and I think about the impact that it has on people and you know the way that COVID is being handled in our country, if if we can get a handle on it, more people can come to games, which would increase revenue. And imagine Super Bowl Sunday without any spectators. Right. Like It is a huge event. And if you can kind of lock down COVID and lock down the spread, even if you have to push the Super Bowl back a month, which, you know, make of that what you will. If if you have a week 18, a week 19, and you have healthy teams playing, and you can generate more interest and potentially bring in people for what is the biggest, like, most watched sporting event... I just, it just the business mind of it doesn't even make sense to me. So, yeah. And that's just strictly from like a money talks yeah. perspective, not
0: even like a, not a be nice to, to humans. Yeah. Nothing yeah. else taken into account. I, no, I agree with you. It's, it's, but it's uh, like I said, it's predicated on the way the whole country is taking this pandemic. It's not just the NFL for sure. And I do appreciate, I guess, their, you know, the notion of, well, we want, we want to bring normalcy. We want to bring games to people. We are doing everything we can. And I think they, you know, for the most part have done a good job without having a bubble. Right. Because like NBA did what they did because they bubbled. The NFL decided that that was too difficult. I agree. I I think that would have been a shit show. Um, for lack of a better term, it'd be too difficult to have that many people in a bubble. So, for by all accounts, they're doing a good job,
1: but I there's still too many play, there's too many players getting sick. Yeah, and to your point, you know, we don't need to keep keep talking about this, but we just we don't know the long term effects of this yet. So, you know, I, I don't want to like put on my tinfoil hat, conspiracy theory, anything, but you we're seeing players like Ezekiel Elliott who had. The virus and their season isn't going the way that we would expect it to. And part of that, of course, could be, you know, the way the team is built as a whole, not having the pieces on the offensive line, not having Dak as a distraction, but you know, there's, there's something to be said about maybe it's affecting players long-term and we haven't necessarily considered that. And, you know, for a lot of people, this is their one shot at making this kind of money. Yeah. And if, if you are a guy like Zeke, it's nice that you got paid but there are plenty of players who may never have the opportunity to even get paid that could put themselves at risk Mm -hmm. long-term. So I guess, I guess wrapping that up uh, wear a mask if you want to see the Packers play football. Okay. Because this is Wisconsin's cases are going up an insane amount and we want to get to green Bay and see the Packers play. And it's going to be a memorable season for a number of reasons, but I would hate for it to be memorable Because the Packers won a Super Bowl and had an NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field and nobody got to come see it. Right. Right. So (laughs) where do we go from here, Perry? Um, Well, I
0: guess we'll say that, you know, this was obviously a recap show, which is different from what we usually do um, because of the wonky week. Uh, Next week, we'll be back to our regular regular uh, schedule and we will preview the Jaguars. Um, It'll come out on Friday. Like it always does. And until then we um, will wait to see what happens with the Packers roster health wise
1: and uh, hope for the best. Yeah. And I mean, things to look forward to. Alan Lazard should be back. Christian Kirksey might come back as well. Right. David Bakhtiari should be back. So lots of good things, um, you know, kind of on the schedule set to happen before the Packers play their ninth game of the season i had to do some quick math there in my head so perry where can all of the people find all of your work on social media
0: just follow me on twitter at perry underscore goldstein all my work gets retweeted and posted
1: there and links are in my bio so that's the easiest (laughs) Yeah, because she's busy. And if you did not catch her yet on the She Said TV live show, please make sure that you go watch that because it was fantastic. And we heard the Corey Benke listens to Packs What She Said. So, what's up, Corey? Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. All of my work that I do is there. So, thank you as always for listening to this show. Go, Pack Go. Go, pack, go.